Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to the Teletext R podcast. We are back with another interview slash conversation special. Today's guest is a very esteemed one and a true veteran of the Teletext industry. It's Sarah Scott Rivers. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Hi, was that intro okay? Are you fine with being called a veteran? Oh dear, well I'm over 50, so definitely. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because you have a long and illustrious Teletext career. So I thought we could today go through that a little bit. Yep, that's good. Excellent. I guess we should just start at the beginning and ask, Sarah, do you actually remember the first time you used Teletext or View Data? And would that have been in your house or at work? Yeah, it would have definitely been at home because it was the only kind of look, look at your horoscope or record reviews or that sort of thing. So definitely CFAX and Oracle, late 70s, early 80s. So you were definitely a Teletext fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to I used to like Fortel and I definitely remember writing a letter to Mort Smith, who was the editor, but I can't remember if he replied to me or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've had Mort Smith on this podcast, actually, on one ah. of the live panels that we did in Cambridge. Well, if you speak to him again, say you should have answered my letter. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I bear a grudge or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he might still have it. He's got all sorts of stuff. Yes. So I was going to ask, did that interest in teletext push you into that sort of field, that area of work? I think so. I was very fascinated by computers, and obviously it was very early days of computing anyway. My mum wanted me to go to art college, but I refused to draw fruit at school, so I was thrown out, <laughs> thrown out of the O-level art class. You know, you'll never be an artist kind of thing. And I, I think it appealed to me, the medium of teletext, because it was quite colours and simple kind of I don't know, like Lego for grown-ups so when I then did a training course which included learning how to do view data or video text it was like yes I ran with it. Can you reveal exactly why you didn't want to draw fruit? Because I'm rubbish at drawing fruit. <laughs> <laughs> just fruit? Well no just kind of it still life I can't draw things that look real but I can do abstract so I'm much more of a abstract person in terms of how I, I still draw and paint now but I could not draw an apple and make it look like an apple I could, draw, <laughs> I could draw an apple on a computer yeah I think the thing with early computer graphics is symbolism and being able to tell what something is as long as you exactly. can tell yeah. yeah yeah as long as you can tell what something is it's fine whereas if you've got a piece of paper you feel obligated to fill in all the little details Yes. I remember once doing a demo at one of the jobs I was doing and they said, right, Sarah, can you draw a bee? And they meant a letter bee, but I drew a flying bee, which confused everybody until they realised it was a buzzing bee. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, You mentioned that, that you went into computing and coding education. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was like a one-year training course in 1983, and it covered electronics and programming, and it was quite male-dominated. There was only two girls out of 20 or something. Okay. Did that cover teletext as well? Yeah, so that's when I, they sh- I, we were shown like basic view data, and it really fascinated me. And once I was shown that, I just didn't want to do anything else. What do you think it was about view data that attracted you to it? I think because it was 
it was simple. I mean, it's like anything, like you say, a pen and paper, you could draw something very basic or make it complicated. But the restrictions and the parameters I quite liked because you kind of, I don't know, it just, it just appealed to me. And I guess having been a user watching it on TV, I kind of knew what the end result could look like. It wasn't uncharted waters or anything. Right. So were you specifically interested in the art side or more the technical side? Both really, and I, I'm very into, I've always been into writing and the fact that you have, and you have a certain amount of character, you've got to be quite economical with your words, but still make it read properly. I liked, I liked the, the programming kind of element of it. I liked the design element, and I liked the words. It, it just ticks a lot of boxes for me. What was it like to make pages for view data? Did you have specialist terminals? Initially, we, I learned on a BBC Micro, and when I went to work at the Barbican, they set up a kit there, and which just was basically ran off a BBC Micro with a disk drive. Uh, I do remember some cherry keyboards, but I don't know whether that was when I was training or, uh, but that was definitely in the early days. But no, it, it wasn't really a tailor-made terminal until probably when I worked about in 85 at DataSolve, and they had Torch computers, these huge brown things. So do you think by that point, Teletext had become commercially viable enough to have its own dedicated systems? Well, definitely, because DataSolver had a lot of financial clients, like a lot of online insurance quotation systems. So I did a hell of a lot of layouts of as if you're applying for a mortgage and life insurance and that sort of thing. And, it, and it, I mean, they, I think they'd called in the market, the industry for that kind of, you know, online, well, pre-online, if you like, sort of dial up a way to apply for something and send the data off and it comes back and you know yeah but it didn't necessarily it didn't need to dedicate a terminal but the dedicated terminals just kind of simplified what you were doing but you're still doing the same thing i guess you know it's like the kind of colored keys across the top that we we'd get with a cherry keyboard uh, which you don't have on a micro or i don't think on the torch but i can't really remember a torch keyboard to be honest it would be great if somebody made one of those keyboards nowadays because I would definitely buy one. Yeah. Yeah, one of the issues I have is trying to hit the control key when I'm entering the different Teletext control codes. Yeah. If there were, if there were just a button that I could hit, that would be brilliant. You said uh, Cherry? Did you say it was a Cherry keyboard? Yeah, it was a, called a Cherry keyboard. It was kind of like dark wood and then it, it definitely had the colored buttons on. Yeah, I think I've seen pictures of those online. Yeah. And those are the ones that I wish I could plug into my modern computer and use. Mm, yeah, it wouldn't work, though, would it? <laughs> oh, what a shame. Some techie out there on the Teletext Facebook group might want to take a look into that. Yeah, I'm sure it can't be impossible to do if you knew what you were doing. but And they probably all got thrown in skips anyway. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where they all are now then. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got no old computer equipment at all. It's so long ago. It's all been left way behind. Yeah, well, I can understand that. But you mentioned DataSolve. So you were working for the company called DataSolve in the mid-80s? Yeah, that, that was about in 1985. They were a Prestel information provider, or IP, as it was abbreviated to. Right. And I was their graphic designer. It basically, they came across me when I was working at the Barbican, running the Barbican system. That was a sort of contract, short-term contract. Uh, but I knew I wanted to stay in London, uh, having moved from, down from Liverpool. So then I got offered the job at DataSolve. I think someone came to see a demo of the system and said, oh, DataSolve looking for a designer. So I, it wasn't even advertised. I just 
it was word of mouth because it was such a small industry i found that a lot you would not really ever see a job advertised it would be so and so knows so and so and they need somebody and you know it seems quite archaic really but it was just such an obscure job to do yeah unfortunately you couldn't put a post on teletext to say teletext designer needed no <laughs> or could you in the early days they just wouldn't probably have thought that way about it i think most jobs were just literally people bumping into someone else and saying oh you, you could go and do this job kind of thing that's certainly how i got the data solve job okay sorry we're sort of going back in time a little bit here how did you end up at the barbican from your initial job with itm in liverpool yeah so i worked for itm after the training course and ITM set up a public information system for the Garden Festival in Liverpool, which is, I think, 1994. And that was quite successful. And then the Barbican decided to buy the same system, which was basically the Barbican Centre has TV, well, it did have TV screens all around it. And from a little room in a side office, I had a BBC micro and a disk drive and some magic cabling. And I used to put together all the like, scrolling carousel of pages about what films were on, what plays, everything to do with the Barbican. At the Barbican, was it a big wall of televisions that people could come in and look at? I can't remember if they, they may have had one bank of screens somewhere, but mostly it was just individual screens quite high up, just with scrolling. In, I remember I did an animation of a fountain, because they have a fountain in the garden there. And because it was a carousel and it was all A, B, C, D, it went through the alphabet you could choose to have it scrolling or overlay so you could actually create animation by doing like a like a flip cartoon effectively but different frames of view data of all teletext pages so all, all looks the same anyway and then you could create animations okay was that something specific to that system um i don't know i mean i'm i just remember you could opt for if you did a string of pages you could opt for them to refresh so it would just replace with the next one or to overlay it so that's how you could get it and I, I can't see that it's a kind of such a complicated concept that somebody else wouldn't have done it but it's the only system that i'd worked with at the time so i'm not sure huh. do you still have a photograph of your fountain that you've drawn no <laughs> i've got a picture of me sitting at the barbican with the four the barbican logo which was four b's in a square that's I've definitely put that onto Twitter and I can send it to you if you, okay. you want it. So that's that's definitely for lesser bees and not for bumblebees. No, absolutely. <laughs> See, it's very, very easy confusion, isn't it? <laughs> but that 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 picture gets a lot of love on, on Twitter because it's a BBC micro and people remember them and, and I've got quite mad goth hair as well. So it's uh lots going on in that picture. That's probably why they employed you for the hair. I think I remember my first day working at the Barbican, although I was a contractor, so I wasn't an employee of the Barbican, but I wore a long purple dress and gold stilettos to work, which to me was completely normal. And I do remember someone come up to me and saying, we have never seen anyone who looks like you come to work here. And I was like, okay. Do you think you saw yourself as a bit of a rebel then? Everybody else at art school was interested in doing these paintings of bananas, but you just weren't interested in that and you wanted to be a little bit different. I think, well, I just think I wanted to do what appealed to me and what I knew I could do. There's no point me trying to draw fruit because I'm rubbish. I, was, <laughs> I ended up being quite good at 
little pixels together and making pictures. So, yeah, I'm a kind of controlled rebel, I suppose, a sensible, <laughs> a practical rebel. So how much was Teletext part of your personality? Oh, well, quite a lot, I think. <laughs> Maybe if you cut, cut, slice me horizontally through my arm, I'm probably pixelated underneath. <laughs> I think that goes for everybody else listening to this podcast. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so in 85, you worked for DataSolve in London. You did some design stuff, but you say you did some financial stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, I was the designer, but, you know, if it was a new client or a new product, it wasn't just about doing logos and stuff. It was about laying out a page to make it economical and communicating the information that it needed to communicate or gather the information it needed to gather. It was an application form. So I did get involved in sort of the copywriting as well as the design, but I was quite happy with that. And some designers would just want to do a logo and hand it over to someone else to do the rest. But I was quite happy to manage the whole thing. And they had a whole team of people doing data entry, but it kind of went through my desk first sort of thing. Would you agree that there's a skill to laying out text perfectly on a teletext page? Were you asked to do that sort of thing, first of all? And secondly, do you agree that there's definitely an artistic side that is a little underappreciated? I definitely think it's underappreciated. Not maybe now. I think people, like I say, seem to it seems to appeal to people more. I, I don't think I was ever sort of instructed, uh, but I would have thought, well, if you've got X amount of characters across, and you, if you're going to put a title on something, and it could be two words, well, you, you've got quite a lot of space that you're not using. So if you can make it five words and make it tell the story better, then use, try and maximise the space wherever possible. But then there are also occasions where the gaps you leave are probably as important as the spaces you don't, you know. So it was just something that I found quite easy to put a page together and it would, it would look easy on the eye. Okay. And you definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even now, if I'm typing a letter, which I know sounds a bit retro, but the layout will have to be right. It can't be all squashed up at the top of the page. It's got to be spaced out right, otherwise I won't print it out and I won't send it. Would you say that there were workers or employees who didn't like that so much? Yeah, I think they probably they probably it wouldn't even occur to them. They would just be told to put this copy onto this page and that's what they do. But I would always be the one that'd go, Oh, well, if we took out two words here, then I'd have a spare line there and it would look better. And I think eventually I just wore everybody down and they went, yes, sir, I'd just do whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So, from DataSolve, you moved on to GWV in 1986 that was in London yeah that was Covent Garden yeah you were doing more press tale stuff so is that more of the same stuff would you say uh they had a lot more entertainment like theatres they had a theatre guide and loads of holiday stuff they did Britney ferries they did loads of holiday like Kiwoni travel a lot of travel stuff and I was glad to have left HSL because I found all the financial clients a bit boring and then DWV bought to solve Prestel IP business so I got all the clients back that I, was, I found really boring that serves me right <laughs> you're not getting out of it that easily no no exactly <laughs> so what sort of 
what sorts of things did you draw? I imagine cruise ships, as you mentioned, cruise holidays. Yeah, well, Qoni's kind of long haul travel. So that was kind of, you know, pyramids and nice exotic stuff. And the ferries, I mean, the, the Brittany ferries used to take us absolutely weeks. We'd get the brochure the, or the pre brochure before it went out. And it would be just like four of us working 10 hour days to get all, it was all the schedules of every single sailing from like Portsmouth to St. Marlowe and like eight different routes. It was quite a big like database effectively yeah would you say that was more an editor job than designing at that point it was a bit of both really again when if we were busy everybody just had to muck in and do what needed to be done but i was predominantly the designer right were there any other designers working with you at that time or were you the only one um well there were other people doing input and some of them were able to design but either perhaps didn't want to do it all the time or we pulled all the work really it wasn't a sort of precious oh i'm the designer i don't do that or if somebody else wanted to have a go at something fine you know we had enough to do that uh, it was just about getting the project finished and we used to have a computer called george because there was a massive thing on prestel for brochure requests because travel agents would order 50 brochures and it was all done through prestel so george the computer was sat in this little room and he just, it was constantly printing out brochure requests, which we then had to, well, the secretary did it again, we'd help out if she was busy. It was on the old printers with the holes in the side of the paper. Yes. So this would churn out page and page and page, and then we'd have to tear the, the strips off the side and chop them up and put them, send them then off to the travel companies who would then send the brochures out to the agents. It so, sounds a bit Heath Robinson, but it, it was very efficient. So you came back to Teletext in 1990 with a company called Videotron. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, Videotron was a Canadian cable company. I think they may have been taken over by Telewest, if I remember rightly. So again, I was a designer for, or ed, designer and editor for this local Teletext channel called Local Focus, which was just scrolling carousel of pages relevant to the London boroughs where they have their cable service. So, you know, what day recycling was, entertainment listings, emergency information. And at the time they were located in Lewisham, which was like a very short bus ride from where I lived. And I thought, this is brilliant. It's the first time I'd ever managed to live close to my job. And then about six months later, they moved to Acton, which is right over the other side of London. And it was horrendous, like two hours each way to get to work. But I liked the job, so I put up with it. Two hours, really? Yeah. London must be either a hectic or a big place. Well, because I was going from South East London to West London, I tried every conceivable way of getting to work and it was it was a, a long slog, but it's what you gotta do. You should have just asked to work from home. Install the teletext system in your house. Yeah, I, that was much more of a novelty idea then, not like it is now. Mm, certainly not. Now everybody has to do it. So you did a series of scrolling teletext pages, you said? Yeah, the, uh, Videotron, yeah, because they basically the cable companies, it was all done by Borough, so you'd have franchises for Ealing, Brent, you know, all the different London boroughs. But within London boroughs, there was more than one cable company covering the, the whole city. So if you lived in one road, your cable company would be Videotron, but 
your neighbour down the road if he was in a different London borough would may have a different cable supplier. So it was very, uh, it was borough centric or borough focused. So that, that means the information we put on for the local channel was very much for the areas that the cable network covered, if you like. Okay. So that would show the pages on teletext or would it print them on an actual TV program like pages from CFAX? No, no, it was just a, a channel on their, not on their network, but it was just, it was like you used to get CFAX at night, you know, just page, page rotation of, of pages. It was all information about whichever London borough the home was in. So I don't, I don't recall that it was interactive. Like you know, you go to you press text on your remote control. I'm pretty sure it was just a carousel, but it's a long time ago, so quite hard for me to remember. <laughs> okay. Did you do a lot of artwork for that then? Again, it was a mixture of design, logos, and information. There was me and one other person doing it. And I think the other guy was made redundant. So I just ended up doing the whole thing. But it was fine because it wasn't a huge job. It was manageable. And not having to consult somebody else about things makes life a lot easier. Would you say it was also a little bit better or easier than the previous stuff with press style? Yeah, I mean, it was a different subject matter, really, because uh, it was less advertising. It was more promoting things that the councils were wanting to promote. So... A slightly different take on it but still trying to get you know the point across make it look interesting make it informative um so the same concept but different slightly different content would you say working for teletext around that time or on teletext around that time it was more of an artistic role or a graphic design role or something else entirely I'd say it was more of a design, but also editorial. You had, you had to have a bit of a concept of the editorial side of it, you know, making sure you, you, there's no point having a half a page of a beautiful picture of a flower if you've got to get 10 lines of really important information out. So it's sort of striking a balance. You have to sort of think further down the line about what I'm trying to say with this and how, how much words does it need and how much pretty stuff can I get away with. What stuff did you get away with, do you remember? God. <laughs> <laughs> it's so long ago, I really, I, I don't remember. I just remember doing lots of, definitely information about recycling, because that was quite a new thing that they were trying to get everyone to do. And just trying to make it eye-catching so that somebody would see it and stop and look again. And then you've got the retention so you can try and communicate some information to them. But the specific designs, it's just all too long ago, I'm afraid. So you might have done recycle bins and skips and stuff like that. Yeah, or a giant, giant green bottle or something, you know, something quite simple, but that would make people think, oh, right, it's a bottle. So are they giving away free wine? Oh, no, they want me to recycle my bottles. Well, you never know. Some of that stuff may turn up one day. We may get captures of that. Yeah. So you might see it again. I mean, that is quite obscure because, as I say, it was only, I think they had the franchise for six London boroughs. So you're only talking... A third of the boroughs within the city, the Greater London as the whole anyway. Guys out there listening to this, all you Teletext recoverers, view this as a challenge. You've got to go out there and find this stuff. <laughs> You've got to go and get the gold. You've got to dig deep to get the gold. <laughs> Thank you.
can we jump forward a little bit and can I ask, how did you come to work for Teletext Limited? Were you there at the start in 1992? Yeah, it went live on the 1st of January 93, I believe. Uh, and I started, so, I think, maybe the summer of 92. I had actually sent them my CV, but they didn't get back to me. Um, but somebody I knew who used to work at Oracle and was then working at Teletext, I, I happened to see her or speak to her and she said, oh, they're looking for a designer. And I said, well, I have sent my CV and no one's got back to me. So I went for the interview and got the job, basically. And the, the offices were in Fulham and we did loads of dummy runs and trial they basically ran teletext as if it was live. So there was, I remember the fire at Windsor Castle that was covered as if it was being it was being aired, even though it wasn't. So we we did an icon of Windsor Castle with flames coming out of it. So they they were you know they they ran it as if it was in existence, even though it wasn't going live till the first of January. Okay, so it was just a sort of test to see if yeah. you could do it technically and. Yeah, well, the whole company, you know, the whole, everybody, the editorial, the sales team, the IT people. It was quite good the way they, you, you felt like you were working on a live system, even though it actually wasn't going live until the start of next year. So you actually joined when it was still Oracle, is that right? Well, Oracle, yes, yeah, so Oracle still had the franchise. But I was working for Teletext and helping get everything ready for it to take over from Oracle. You mentioned somebody you knew that worked for Oracle. Did you have communication with people from Oracle before that point? No, I mean, a lot of people from, I think once everybody knew that the franchise, they'd lost the franchise and it was going to a new company, quite a few of the Oracle staff moved anyway before handover. So you, you did end up sort of bumping into people that you maybe had crossed paths with before. But then some people stayed with Oracle until the very end and probably didn't want to go to the new. I didn't get too involved in the politics of it because I, I was never employed by Oracle. So I didn't know really much about how they worked. OK, so as a designer for sales and marketing at Teletext, I understand you worked with a friend of the show, the now infamous Mr. Biffo. I did, yes. <laughs> I bet that was interesting. What sort of regard was he held in at the time? What did his fellow Teletext employees think about him and Digitizer? Well, when I first started there, I actually sat next to Paul for several months. They stuck the designers together for practicality, even though that was in the editorial department and I actually worked for the sales team downstairs. I sat with Paul and it was like total chaos. It was hilarious. I recall it being like working in the teenage boy's bedroom because uh, there was a lot of giggling. And I, I know now Digitizer's got kind of mythical status, but back then it was just another section of editorial, very anarchic. I think everyone acknowledged that they were doing something different and it was almost like the Monty Python of the text world. They were producing some good stuff, all the stuff about computer games. I mean, I've not, never really into sort of mega drive and all that sort of thing my, i'm more of a chucky egg girl from the 80s or space invaders oh okay but yeah i mean i think the editor i think at the time was graham lovelace he sort of just said you know you can't you can't control anarchy and he let them just do what they wanted to do because it was so popular at any point were you sort of coaching paul rose no no we we just worked we both did the same kind of work and if he was away I would stand in for him and if I was away he would stand in for me but it I don't think either of us felt the other needed any 
Dyden particularly, we both had our own skills. And I mean, he's younger than me, so I guess I, I'd been doing it longer than he had sort of thing. But his work's excellent. I mean, it doesn't mean you're any better or worse, however long you've been doing it. It felt like growing up with a younger and older brother, which I did. So I was used to kind of the strange male brain. And there was definitely a lot of strange male brain going on in the digitizer corner. It sounds like it was a world away from the mid 80s when you mentioned you were in your purple dress and long hair. <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot more of a bohemian atmosphere, but it was really interesting working in the editorial department because I've, I've never worked on a newspaper or anything. I found it very interesting and then they moved me downstairs to the sales department. So that was a lot more boring. Did you wish that you were still upstairs? Sometimes, but you have to go where you're told, don't you? I, I suppose so. Did you enjoy either being part of or watching all the anarchy as it was happening? I think I just thought, blimey, this is their job. This is just like insane. <laughs> it was, no, it was very, very entertaining. Is there anything that you can disclose? Any stories? Uh, I do remember there was Tim Moore was a friend of Paul's and he was, he was in, on the editorial team, but I think he used to sit in our bit sometimes and he went on to write several books, I believe. But he also was writing for Just 17, so there was quite a lot of Mickey taking about the problem pages in Just 17, and they'd all just start giggling like children, bless them. It, yeah, it was just quite crazy. I can imagine. I was hoping, well, we've had Paul Rose on the podcast, and um, he's been pretty candid about the stuff that's happened. But... No, I, I wouldn't think to ask you to dish any dirt on the guys. No, I, <laughs> well, I guess I, I, I was only sitting with them for, I can't remember, it was six months or, you know, and then I was stuck downstairs with the client services people. So, yeah, I probably missed out all the exciting stuff or missed out on it. <laughs> so what are the sections of Teletext did you contribute to? Well, you mentioned that you filled in for Mr. Rose when he was on holiday, so... I guess, did you do any work on Digitizer? No, it would more be more, Digitizer was definitely his baby. It would be more if, they, if there was an editorial story and they needed, and the icons were sort of the things that were in the top right-hand corner, sort of, you know, four lines deep, kind of a little image to tie in a story. So I might be asked to do an icon or an index page or something like that. But not, no, not, I don't really recall doing anything for Digitizer. It was their baby and Paul was quite, as I recall, good at forward planning. So if he, if he knew he was going to be away, he'd already have it written or the design work done in advance. Forward planning, wow. You would never have guessed that. <laughs> well, he might laugh at me saying that, but um, I think Steve may, may also have done some work with him, but I'm Steve Horsley, I'm not sure. So can I ask, the icons in the corner of the page, every Teletext icon that you see in photographs are recoveries would that have either been created by you paul rose or steve harsley am i right in saying that i think so i mean i think if they there were people in the client services section who were quite creative and if you could you were totally entitled to design something and stick it in the library sort of thing if you know so it wasn't it wasn't a kind of um selective process but most of them would have been done by paul and i and possibly steve how did you work with images from the library? Did you sort of load it up and copy and paste it into your Teletext page that you were working on? I can't remember. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I 
really uh-huh. don't remember. I, I guess, yeah, you must have been able to cut and paste it or something, but I, I really don't remember. So I imagine by the time you left, there would have been quite a gallery of stuff building up. Oh, yeah, there'd have been a hell of a lot of palm trees, definitely. <laughs> palm trees, yes. I, I wish I'd have paid a pound for every palm tree I've drawn. Steve Harsley says his artworks were mostly palm trees and horses. Do yes, you echo that? Yeah, well, the racing desk, there was a whole, there was four people working on all the tips, the racing tipsters. So definitely, yeah, he would have done a lot of running horses and cricket players and that kind of thing. What do you remember about the after hours service on Teletext Limited? I recall it was sort of the grown ups section of of the tech service and it was only shown I guess after nine o'clock but I'm not sure uh, it was a, an evening thing and they I think there was something called loose talk or some I did an icon with lips and it was a mouth and I don't know whether it was like gossip or but I think they were trying to do something different by having content that was aimed at a certain age group or and airing it at different times of the day which is a uh, I think different to Oracle I don't recall that being on Oracle Right, so you weren't involved with any of the naughty stuff that got published on there? <laughs> Other than, as I say, I remember doing an icon of a mouth, but perhaps we shouldn't go down that <laughs> um, Did you do anything for the kids section or magazine, do you remember? Is that too specific a question? I don't really remember. Don't remember. Most, most of the stuff I was doing was obviously for sales and marketing. But then occasionally you'd fill in for editorial if they, you know, if Paul was busy or not there or whatever. And often I'd, I'd do something and I wouldn't necessarily know what the, where it was, what it was going to be used for. I'd just be asked to draw, you know, a foot or, you know, something, <laughs> an elbow. <laughs> Have you actually come back to try teletext editing more recently? No, no. Do you think you would try it again? Possibly. I suppose it's like riding a bike. I'm sure I couldn't have forgotten how to do it after all this time. Maybe, maybe I will. Yeah. Do you think there was an element of when you left Teletext or you finished with Teletext, leaving all that behind? Well, I went on to do work on websites, which is sort of a logical, the kind of follow on from what Text was doing. I could see that internet design was going to be the next thing or, or, World Wide Web and I'm glad I did because I did that for several years and then everybody became a web designer so I think it was just time for me to try something related but different. This was in the mid-90s by the way wasn't it when the World Wide Web was very very much in its infancy so you remained at the cutting edge of technology. (laughs) Yeah I mean it was basically I went back to work for Richard who ran GWV his clients started to say, oh, are you doing this internet thing? Uh, and he said, yeah, not knowing how to do it. So we all just had to kind of learn and this world apart from what it's like now, the design and everything. Uh, but it was just, again, really, really fascinating. I had an email address and there was not really a lot of point having an email address because I didn't know anybody else who had an email address. <laughs> was it something like Sarah at net slash Superman32 or whatever? The company was GBNet, so I was Sarah at GBNet. But I did have 
I had a Blue Yonder address because I had Blue Yonder broadband and I had Kit Kit and a Blue Yonder, so that was me. Right. I think I still have a Blue Yonder address. I just don't check it anymore. I wonder if it's gone inactive. Yeah, probably. It'd be full of spam anyway. Yeah, sadly, from 20 years ago, from the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, so do you think there was a lot of crossover between teletext and the early internet designing web pages at that time? I think it was a logical, the next step forward, but obviously you can do a hell of a lot more with, well, infinite things with design and no character limits. So it was similar in that you are looking at a screen and you're putting together some information, you're trying to make it look nice and make it make sense to whoever's receiving it at the other end. But the fact that there are no limitations, relatively speaking, compared to view data or teletext, so it was similar, but very different. Did you miss the order of the grid? Did you miss the, I suppose, to steal a term from a documentary about Tetris, the ecstasy of order, as in working, <laughs> as in working on a grid? Did you sort of miss that layout? I think so, because it's, it's a bit like you've only ever had a tiny little notepad to draw on, and then somebody gives you a whole a room, a blank room, and says, do whatever you want. You're like... I don't, so you end up just doing something really small because that's what you used to. It was an adjustment, really. But you soon get over the the fact that you can have infinite characters. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't have a page with 10,000 words on it. But that restriction removed about the very specific character limit. I think it just, it was related enough that I could understand and relate to what I was trying to do. But then... I probably wouldn't have wanted to go back to text after that because you would feel a bit like you were wearing boxing gloves trying to beat the chopsticks, you know. So was this mostly editorial or did you do some coding as well? No, no, I, I learned HTML from scratch. I mean, the pages now, I'm sure, would look very naive, but I liked writing the code. Obviously, it's very frustrating if you miss out a closed brackets and then the whole thing doesn't work, but... I enjoyed it. I'm glad. I mean, I use WordPress now for websites and it does my head in because it's too spoon, it's spoon feeding you. And I'm like, no, I don't want it to look like that. I want to be able to delve in and, you know, make it do exactly what I want it to do. But it's like cave paintings, really, compared to what people, how people run websites now and edit them. Yeah. Well, did concepts like above and below the fold exist at that time? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> that is above the fold is anything that appears on screen when you load up a page without having to scroll down. Ah, okay. I think we probably tried to keep it to a screen's full anyway, because I do remember trying to design for different screen resolutions. Yeah. Because some people had these huge monitors and other people had a very small monitor. So you'd then have to take the happy medium and have something that on a big screen was going to look a bit small but on a small screen was just going to fit or uh, so you did have to factor that in I don't know whether screens are a little bit more um, consistent size wise now because I don't really notice that as much with websites as I used to do. I think maybe that's always been a problem with the internet and designing web pages as compared to teletext where it's always the same it's always the same 40 by 24 grid with teletext Yes. With the internet, it could be anything. It could be any display. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, now people 
optimize websites for use on phones, which I've never designed a website for use on a phone because you, when I was designing websites, the idea of having it on your mobile phone would be like, what? <laughs> Smartphones would not even, if everybody had Nokia's that, you know, just did text messages or played snake on. Whenever I was doing any of the websites, smartphones were just, you know, it was like Star Trek. So, so you sort of finished with designing web pages before smartphones became a thing. Yes. Yeah. And I had a black, I had a BlackBerry for years. Which don't, again, it was like people do to take the mickey out of me because uh, like, you've got a BlackBerry, that's so retro. But um, they apparently... I mean, I don't have one now because they've stopped making them, but, you know, they are supposedly much more secure than other phones. I don't know. Maybe I just like the underdog all the time. <laughs> Going back to the early days of the internet, uh, you mentioned... I think you've mentioned somewhere that you discovered eBay in 1997. Yes, like I used to collect Barbies. So there was, there was a lot of American women selling Barbies. Um, and I and then I started to sell stuff on it. I remember I sold a copy of the Radio Times to somebody in America, <laughs> like that week's Radio Times, which cost like 70p or something. And I'm, I either got 35 or $70 for it because it had Paul McCartney on the front. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I thought, wow, this this is an untapped market. I didn't get too many sales like that, but it, again, eBay then was just absolutely nothing like it is now. People hadn't even heard of it. It was just like, what is this eBay thing, you know? But it was brilliant. It still is amazing, and I didn't know it was around in '97. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that's when I, I've been I've been registered since '97, and I think it's I think it was already maybe going for a couple of years. I'm not sure when it started. I think whoever set it up, it was for trading in Pez toys, you know, those Pez sweet dispensers. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's what I've read, that it was set up for somebody who wanted to trade Pez. And the other thing is, not only did you have to have a computer with internet access in 97, the person in America would have had to have internet access in 1997 to make that trade. Yeah, yeah I, bought, I bought a lot of Barbies. <laughs> Do you still have those now, then? No, I... I, I ended up with so many, I, I then gave a load away. There was a children's kind of hospice shop near where I lived and I just went in one day and gave them a load because I just thought this is ridiculous. I've got a few, but not many. That's amazing that there would have been a, a charity shop somewhere absolutely filled with these Barbies that you collected. Yeah, so I spent a lot of money. I mean, I must be mad, but never mind. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with having collections of stuff. Well, no, but it's just when you think about the money that you spent and what you could have done with it. But, you know, hey, hmm. I don't, I, I, I look forward, not back. Okay. So is that one of the reasons why you haven't ever thought about Teletext since? Or do you, do you still think about Teletext? Um, I, well, I, I think about the, the whole Teletext view data all the time, that, you know, all the jobs I did. But I feel very lucky that I was able to walk from one job to another and I was doing something that was quite unusual. If you went for a job, it was only probably going to be two other people applying. So it was it was just like a kind of weird little microcosm. But I learned a lot. Uh, I, do, I actually do copy editing now. I'm, I've not, I've not, I haven't got no training as being a copy editor. But I'm so picky about spelling and punctuation. 
I've done, I've worked on a book and I've worked on a magazine and that's purely because I'm good at it. I'm not, I haven't got any qualifications, but that skill is something I've, obviously I was always good at English, but having to do a lot of text-based stuff, you're constantly working with words and making them use the space properly. And so it's, it, I think it's just, I've been lucky that I've always done a job that I enjoy. Do you do any typesetting as well? Uh, no. I mean, typesetting was something that my dad had a business and he did a lot of typesetting, but I was a bit too young to learn how to do it. I think I would have probably been about 15, early 80s. But I never did know. I, did, I never got into typesetting. But had I, I would, have been, I would have been all over that because that would have been my thing. Do you think that the fact that your dad had the typesetting business planted a bit of a seed within you and gave you an appreciation for teletext? Possibly. He was a photographer, but he used to publish brochures and things like that. So there was always printed stuff in the house. Um, again, I was too young to be proofing it then, but had he carried on or I guess I left home when I was 18 to come to London. So if I hadn't, if I'd have stayed at home, I probably could have got involved in the print side of what he was doing. But I wanted to go where the streets were paved with gold, apparently. <laughs> What's that? Uh, teletext. The, <laughs> the streets are paved with magenta and cyan. Yes, indeed. If only we, if only we could have gold. Yes, gold and teletext. Well, actually, you can. You could have gold in level two or three. I understand you had to go at higher level teletext. Is that right? I, yeah, I did. When I was working for DWV, Philips were one of their clients. So we did the Philips View Data pages on Prestel. They decided to pitch for a contract to run the in-house information system at Halifax Building Society. So they roped in GWV and me to go and put the pages together and you know demo this to try and sell the system. Level three was amazing because obviously you had millions of colors and lots of little shapes that you could stick together but the system was in german there's no manual oh. <laughs> and i don't i don't i don't speak german uh but again you just kind of trial and error that was really really interesting and i think for me that was a kind of stepping stone between text and what you could do with the internet if you, if you look at level three it looks more like a web page so when you were using level three, did you think this is the future until you encountered HTML and the internet and said, no, this is the future? <laughs> yeah, I think I thought level three, I thought, blimey, this is quite hard work. They're going to have to make it a bit more WYSIWYG. You know, what you see is what you get. But the creation of pages, it was too complicated for your average person. But I think it never really got its moment because the internet came along. Although I think level three is used in other countries, as I recall, or was. I think it is, yeah. There is a higher level teletext that they use in Germany. Right. And I want to say Canada, but I'm not sure. Oh, maybe so. We have contacts in Canada. We can ask them. Right. We can see what sort of teletext they've got going on currently. But yeah, level two teletext, the absolute future. But the thing is, Normal teletext, level one teletext, continued despite level two and level three teletext. And that's the system that we still use now. Do you think one of the barriers to actually upgrading to level two and level three 
is that it was a little bit complicated to design and make? Or do you think it's more a case of, well, we've already got this technology for level one in place, so we'll continue running it for the people who still want to use it? Yeah, I mean, I guess for, for, for the supplier's point of view and the kit, I don't know how much, whether it would just be another chip in your TV or something to make it receive level two or three. And obviously, you know, the setup for whoever was running the BBC, CFAX service and the ITV and Channel 4, it would have involved a huge amount of change. You could throw together a, a news page. If, if there was breaking news, you could throw it together really quickly. And I, I don't know whether it would take longer in level two or three, but I guess you'd have a template, so maybe a news item isn't a good example i think it was biting off more than it could chew for what it needed to do i think level one was perfectly you know it had been fine for ages and obviously the internet killed it off but everything has a finite life doesn't it right so level two and level three were more luxuries yeah I and mean, i think i can remember was it level two you could have black text uh, i think level 1.5 you could have black text Right, okay. But I do I do remember maybe that's the goth in me, but I just thought, ooh, black text, that's really that's really exciting. And I th I think I mentioned to you uh, in a previous conversation we had a salesperson teletext who sold an advert to orange for orange phones or sold ad space to orange phones and I said to him, What colour do you want me to use for this advert? And he went, Oh. <laughs> so we did a black and white page, whereas obviously orange, I don't know if you Orange is in level 1.5, you could definitely have orange in level two. But it, I did sort of think, what, what really possessed you to approach orange phones to try and sell an advert when we don't have the colour orange? <laughs> Red phones, I guess it would be. Yeah. yeah, it's not quite the same. Or magenta. Yeah. They should just change the name for the sake of teletext to magenta phones. That's my favourite completely pointless salesperson effort. The orange phones and i remember the name of the guy but i won't tell it say who it is <laughs> just in case he listens to this he'll know his name begins with oh his name begins with an n oh that's yeah that's that's as far as i'm gonna say okay no guesses allowed guys you're not allowed to go out there and pester anybody humiliate him <laughs> whose name that begins with n So, are you familiar with the work of any people who are recovering teletext pages from VHS? And have you seen any of your old pages crap up on Twitter yet? I haven't seen any of mine, but I'm not, I don't sort of check religiously, I have to say. I know there was Six Music did a little piece on teletext recovery, I recall, which I thought was nice because I just thought, oh, you know, all the time that people used to laugh at this medium and now it's kind of getting a bit of appreciation which is nice yeah teletext recovery is one of the most fascinating developments that teletext has had in the last decade yeah i guess i never really thought about it when i was all creating all those things years ago that anybody would really give a damn in 2020 it's quite nice well are you not a bit scared that they're going to dig up some of your worst work no, there's, I, I did not do any bad work, thank you. <laughs>
Well, I, I mean, even your worst work would have been fantastic. Not saying that it was bad, you know. <laughs> no, it's uh, anything that would have gone on screen, I would have only, if I didn't like what I did, it wouldn't have gotten, gone any further than, well, it's not even the recycled bin on an old computer, but you know what I mean. It might be laying dormant on a computer somewhere in whatever the teletext office is now, DMG Media. There might be a file with all Sarah's work. Well, who knows? Well, actually, some stuff has cropped up, hasn't it? There is a booklet, The Art of Teletext. Yes, they gave it to everybody at Christmas. I think we all thought, really? <laughs> so this was at Teletext Limited, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. They printed them all and gave them all to the staff. I think we'd have all rather had a bottle of wine or something. <laughs> so did you have a bottle of wine before designing any of the stuff? No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. I do remember a son with a smiley face, and I think that's in that booklet, like a, a yellow sun with a smile on a blue background. I had some good news for you. That has actually been recovered by a, oh. a guy called Alistair Buxton. Oh, bless him. And we can send you a picture of that if you like. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Y you know, when I, saw the, when I saw that sun artwork, I thought, that looks like a Horsenberger original. Ah. ah, so well, maybe maybe I'm claiming claiming it's my own, but I'm sure I remember doing it. Or maybe we. The thing is, you know, you could get two things that are quite similar because yeah. clearly there's only a finite amount of <laughs> designs you can make. I was going to say because there must have been a certain amount of cross pollination with the design styles. Yeah, I certainly learned a lot of things that the use of black, like leaving the black gaps, which I think is very much a Steve thing, isn't it? I've certainly adapted that from seeing him doing it. Okay, so you learned from seeing Steve Horsley do that, you say? Well, no, for, from seeing stuff he'd done, I'd think, oh yeah, that's I like the the, uh, the effect of leaving the black to give you an edge. Yeah, so then I would have mimicked it, which I don't think he would object to. I mean, we all copy somebody, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I copy every one of you. So in a way, I'm copying you. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Are you happy with that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see those sorts of techniques develop as we go through the history of teletext and we see the old recoveries come to light. And the very, very early stuff in the 70s that's just uh, simple pictograms, I suppose, or simple icons on a black background. And then we developed through the 80s to that thick black lines, thick outlines, halo style. And yeah, one day we're going to pin down exactly who came up with that idea first. Yeah, it, would, it would definitely wasn't me. I, I certainly copied somebody else. But I know one thing when I see old text stuff, the, the fonts make me just cringe because some of the, I was always, used to, you could design fonts at Teletext, you'd, you'd do all the little letters and then they'd set it up so that it could be used as a font, you know, for adverts or whatever. Because it just drive me mad if the thickness of the T, letter T, and then if the H wasn't the same thickness, it would just do my head in. So you preferred to make your own typography in pixel artwork? Yeah, or if there was existing ones, but it had to be consistent. I couldn't bear it being thick and thin. I know it's fine to have thick and thin within a font style, but just it would jump out at me if I didn't think it balanced correctly. So it was your own personal preference or your own design sensibilities yeah 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 but uh 
the art of teletext as far as we know right now that's the only surviving stuff of yours preserved yeah i mean i had discs and things years ago but they were long gone and i, I might have had a few printouts and things i think i remember at videotron there was a little funny little printer that you could print from the tv screen so you could print text but you could also print stills from videos or tv programs so we just used to use this printer when mtv was on printing out like a screen grab of whoever's face was you you know you liked but it was tiny it was sort of like the size of a polaroid photograph that was quite fun so you had pictures of people like madonna and such on your desk yeah or probably me it would be the cure or something but um yeah <laughs> we were supposed to use it for printing out the text pages but we all used it for just screen grabs of mtv that new order and joy division yeah yeah Oh, one of the girls was mad about Cal McLaughlin in Twin Peaks. She had quite a lot of Cal McLaughlin screen grabs. It's an interesting piece of technology, isn't it? Because I, I think that's one of the things that would be quite cool today if you had a button on your remote to print a screen. Yeah. And you've got it there. It's a tangible thing and you can, I don't know, you can pass it around or hang it up on a wall or something. Yeah, I mean, I still, I know that we're supposed to have a paperless society, but I still write shopping lists and, you know, I've, I've printed out my notes for our conversation today because I find it easier to do it from a printed piece of paper and I can't read my own writing anyway. But yeah, I am a bit old school, really. Hold on a minute. Hey Siri, what is better, paper printouts or digital media? I found this on the web. No, useless. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> Print versus digital media, five reasons to go digital. Siri, which is better, teletext or the internet? That seems like a false choice to me. I don't know what that means, but... What did you say, a false choice? All right, maybe yeah. it's not, not, a, not a fair fair contest or something, I don't know. Wow, Siri is actually quite intelligent. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen 2001 enough to not like things that talk to me like that. I don't have Siri. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> That's my favourite film. Yeah, is there any teletext in Space 2001? Uh, no, but it, I've got a, a like a tote bag with computer malfunction. It's red screen with white writing. So they did have text on the screen, but it didn't. It doesn't really look like our eight-bit stuff. I think Steve Horsley has done a teletext artwork of that. Maybe you could get another tote bag with that printed out. What was it like working with Steve Horsley? I only really met him a few times because he would come in as a, either a freelancer or as a temp or, and by that stage I was probably downstairs in the boring sales and marketing department. So we only probably crossed paths a few times. Right. Have you kept in contact with your old friends, I guess, and colleagues from Teletext? I st I'm still in touch with two people from editorial, who two of the writers, but that's about it, I think. Yeah, no, uh, just just two, and, and we don't really talk about teletext very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand that. I can understand that those days are long gone. And this teletext podcast is, well, I don't know what it's trying to do. I suppose it's half reliving the old days and half looking forward 
to the crazy things that we can do with teletext. But did you keep in touch with Paul Rose? No, not after I left. I, I, I don't think I've had any communication with him. But if, he's, if he listens to this, hello, Paul. Hope you're all right. Yep, friend of the podcast. Because I'm just thinking now, how did we get to talking on Twitter? I assumed it was through Mr. Biffo, Paul Rose. Maybe I posted that picture of me at the Barbican with goth hair. <laughs> it, normally get, it gets quite a lot of reaction whenever I post it. Can we use that as the thumbnail for this episode? Yeah, absolutely. I've got terrible glasses on. I should have gone to Specsavers, but my hair's all right. So, you know. We, we, we can Photoshop it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, make <laughs> kind of Dame Ed and the pointy ones or something. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. Well, it's quite a good picture because it has got the BBC Micro and I'm sitting in front of it looking kind of gothy, nerdy. It encapsulates the work of Teletext employees quite well. It screams 1980s. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for chatting with us today on this episode of the Teletext Star Podcast. Thank you for giving me the chance to speak to you. Hey, no problem. It's always wonderful to speak to, I guess, anybody who's involved in Teletext. And especially with you, because you've got, you seem to have so many stories and have such a long history with it. I'm sure we've only scratched the surface. Well, we could always revisit it. <laughs> Yeah, I find the web design stuff interesting because I know this is a Teletext podcast. I feel that there's so much more that can be said about the World Wide Web and HTML and all of that in the 90s. And that could be its own podcast. Yeah, like I say, I was, I was kind of, I dumped shit because there was too many cleverer, younger people doing it. And I just, I went off and became a freelance PA. But I, again, it was really good fun. The teletext became a young person's business. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, web design. Oh, okay. You know, you saw, when I first started doing web design, people were like, what is this? And then in about, within about five years or ten years, everybody was a web designer. So that's when I left the party. Yeah, and you were there right at the beginning. So, Sarah, would you mind joining me again in the future and we can maybe talk about the World Wide Web stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're considering doing a sort of side series on Teletext R, where we don't specifically talk about Teletext, but we talk about related things like broadcasting and the internet. So if you're up for that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant. So guys, please do keep an eye out in the future for something like that. And we hope you're enjoying these interviews. Sarah, did you enjoy this interview today? I did. I didn't think that anyone would ever want to hear about all the things I'd done in Little with Little Squares. Um, so there you go. It's nice that it has the nostalgic value for people. Do you look back on Teletext fondly, would you say? Definitely. Yeah. And I guess that's a good point at which to end. That sums it up very well. And that's the reason why we're all here, I think. So thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Cheers. It's been great to talk to you. Okay. Bye.
I just had to move the cat because you might get some meows. I, One of my cats is, he thinks I'm talking to him. I wondered what that was. I thought it <laughs> might have been the television or something. No, it's Arthur. Arthur the cat. I'll let him back in now. Now we're not on anymore. That's oh, okay. I have five cats. It's okay that Arthur guest appeared on the podcast. Yeah, Arthur's saying teletext is great, mum. <laughs> in fact, Arthur's black and white, so he would look good in, in text. He's not orange. 